Consequence Podcast Network. The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams. I'm Lara Unterstall. And I'm Mike Snoonian. And we are joined today by a special guest. He is a writer for Morbidly Beautiful and Ghoulish, Chandler Bullock. Welcome. Ah, thank you very much. So happy to be here today. Yay. <laughs> Super excited. We are excited as well. So this is a comfort horror episode, and we define comfort horror as the scary movies that bring us joy. And I think this episode is going to kind of show that maybe comfort horror can mean a lot of different things because I don't know if this is one that a lot of people would peg as comfort horror, but I definitely can see it and I'm excited to talk about it. So Chandler, what are we watching today? We're going to be talking about Robert Eggers' inaugural 2015 film, The Witch. Woo! That's yeah. right. We're living deliciously. <laughs> Should have whispered that. Yes. Oh, I know. Don't I worry. Thought, well, there'll be plenty of opportunities to do the whole voice, you know? <laughs> oh, that's true. Whew. It's giving me chills just to think about it. But before we talk about The Witch, we're going to give a brief synopsis in case you haven't seen this movie or it's been a while. So here is your spoiler alert. <laughs> Sorry, I hope that's not like freaking people out. <laughs> it's not the devil that just told you. Sorry, okay. It's 1630 New England, where we meet William and his large family. Wife, Catherine, older daughter and son, Thomason and Caleb, and toddler twins, Mercy and Jonas. They're leaving the colony because of a dispute. It's something about William being more puritanical than the other Puritans somehow, but it mostly comes <laughs> down to William's pride. Nice. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> when like, you're too much for the Puritans, yeah, you, are all looking, yeah. you are a lot. You are a lot. They're all looking at him yeah. like, Jesus, dude, calm down. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> And then they all burst into flames for taking the Lord's name in right. vain, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's how it works. Um, yeah. The family leaves the safety of the settlement on the back of a wagon bound for the great wilderness. Cut to maybe around a year later. They're settled in a rustic homestead on the edge of a great dark wood. And Catherine has a new baby boy, Samuel. While Thomason is watching Samuel, he disappears during a horrifying round of peekaboo. But we see Samuel being whisked through the woods by a figure in a red cloak. In a dark room, they lay the baby on a table and brandish a knife. I know this is... <laughs> Jen hides her eyes. <laughs> I can see Jen freaking out in the corner of my eye. Yeah. Um, we then see the figure nude. It's an old woman making a bloody poultice with which she anoints her skin and broomstick handle. And then she begins to float. Looks like we have... a a bitch <laughs> Moving on from that, <laughs> Catherine is devastated by the disappearance of her baby while the rest of the family tries to move on. Turns out William is pretty bad at homesteading. Their corn is rotten and the winter fast approaching. 
he and Caleb head out into the woods in search of food. They don't find much, but Caleb does ask some important questions about whether or not his baby brother is in hell, only to be shut down by his father's nightmarish Calvinist-style flavor of Christianity. It's just so much fun. Um, it's not at all triggering for me. Okay. Nope. Uh, when they return, Catherine is furious that they left without telling her. To cover for his father, Caleb lies and said they went to find apples to pick for her, to cheer her up, but they didn't find any. Catherine is doubly upset because her father's silver cup is missing. William uh, took and he sold it, just doesn't mention this. Mm -hmm. uh, Mercy and Jonas will not shut up and keep tormenting Thomas. <laughs> they really will not shut up. Clickety, clackety, clickety, clackety. Sorry, okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Knowing that there's a hard winter ahead, Catherine and William discuss sending Thomas in to serve another family and the children over here. To prevent this from happening, and having never read Hansel and Gretel, Caleb and Thomason return to the woods to find food or something the family can sell. But they're soon separated by a sinister hair. I taught, I taught, why are you laughing? Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh. I couldn't help myself. I, <laughs> I wondering, every time that, uh, that rabbit appears on screen, that's all I, I just hear that in my head. Anyway, <laughs> like, leave me alone. Okay, Caleb. <laughs> okay. Caleb, Caleb then stumbles upon a fantastically evil-looking witchy cabin in the woods. From it emerges a total babe in a familiar red cloak. She kisses Caleb, then grabs his head with a crone's twisted hand. Back at the farm, everyone is mad as hell. William confesses that he is the one who actually took the silver cup, and Thomason begs her mother to love her. It's really sad. It's fucked yes. up. It really is. It's really triggering for a lot yeah. of people. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that night, Caleb returns, but he's naked and sick. As his mother and sister care for him, he sweats and convulses, then coughs up an apple. Everyone loses it at this, which, to be fair, I mean, it's pretty fucked up. Mm -hmm. Mercy accuses Thomason of being a witch who did this to her brother. Caleb dies in a fit of religious ecstasy, and after some performative nonsense from the twins, Catherine kicks her out of the house, convinced her daughter is a bride of Satan. Thomason has a heart-to-heart -heart with her father, who basically says she is deaf a witch because of what he just saw. <laughs> Airtight logic, as always. Yeah, science. Mm, yeah, right? You mm. got it, dude. <laughs> Thomason finally snaps and accurately states that he never had a plan and is basically good for nothing. Oh, and also it's Mercy and Jonas that are the real witches. <laughs> Not knowing who to trust, William locks all his children in the barn. In the middle of the night, the old hag witch pops in for a horrifying little visit. I couldn't tell if she's like sucking on the goat, like, or the chicken. I don't know. Anyway, we don't need to talk about it. It's witch. She's just doing, doing witch stuff. Okay. Yeah. The, ne <laughs> the next morning, the barn is destroyed. Most of the animals are dead and the twins are gone. Before William can investigate, he's gored by the iconic asshole goat Black Phillip. <laughs> <laughs> then, he, then he's knocked into and buried under his comically large pile of chopped wood. Just chopped <laughs> a lot of wood. I don't know what he was. Yeah, about. he does. Uh, That's how he works through. Yeah, feelings. he just you know something to do. It's also the only thing he's good right. at. Yeah, yeah. and he's I think good he at might it. Try to sell some of that wood to the town. Right. right. You do, yeah. Nope. You know, put two and two together, nope. here, dude. But anyway. Yeah. Thomason's mother joins the party, blaming Thomason for everything that has happened and trying to strangle her but Thomason fights back and kills her mother in an act of self-defense. Later that night, with nothing left, Thomason conjures Black Philip to speak. And speak he does. 
He also turns into a bearded dude in a sort of jaunty goth Puss in Boots outfit. He looks a bit like Chris Angel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he does. He's yeah, like he he's, does. this whole thing is a mind yeah. freak. <laughs> oh. I know, and I'm kind of into it. So. <laughs> oh, Jen, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have that. Not Chris Angel. Sorry. No, I just want to be just very black clear. Philip as the devil. Okay. I, I can yes, see it. I devil. can see it. He says that all she has to do is sign her name in his book and then she can live deliciously. <laughs> I'm sorry. What's thou like to live deliciously? Canst thou believe it's not butter? <laughs> 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 it's just, Sorry. Oh my god. <laughs> Again, something that runs through my head during that scene every time I watch it. Oh my god. Uh, That's amazing. I'm gonna hear that every <laughs> Thank time. you for that. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Thomason signs, then walks naked into the woods, black Philip at her side. She finds a group of women singing and chanting around a bonfire. Their chants ringing against the tall trees, they float into the air like so much smoke from the fire. And so too does Thomason float. We all float down here. LOL. JK. The end. That's the bitch. The bitch. Oh my gosh. I love this movie so much. I can't wait to talk about it. So now let's do our feelings check. And this is where we share our first experience with the film and how it makes us feel when we watch it. And Chandler, you chose this movie and I would love to hear how it makes you feel. Yeah. This movie is a mixed bag. I mean, you already kind of very aptly put that this is not your average comfort film. Uh, didn't it sound like a bunch of fun, everybody? <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, right, yeah. There are very fun moments. Yes, but Yeah, yeah there are some it. great moments in it as well. There is some levity in the film. But, it, you know, this is not a movie to watch because, you you know, you just want to sit back and have some popcorn and smile. I, I watched it because if I'm down, uh, I can relate to Thomason a lot, and as I get older, I'm sure you know I will relate more to William in some instances as well. I think that's inevitable <laughs> at some point, <laughs> especially just the grumpy thing of this 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 fucking animal will not you know accept me, and I don't know why. That that I can relate mm-hmm. to already with my cat. Um, <laughs> but in general, I feel like the first time I felt the movie uh, was very just. It was a bit dour, but intense. I really wanted to see mm-hmm. it. I was magnetically attracted to it, but I didn't really know why. I was always into kind of witchy, dark aesthetic kind of stuff. But I also know that, especially around 2015, if a movie was a bit a 24 let's put it that way, it could be really boring if it wasn't a director that knew what they were doing behind the camera. So mm-hmm. I was very happy when I first saw it, just of how good of a movie it was, but I was also kind of rattled by how much of uh, Thomason's experience I could relate to. And also hearing the conversations with other people outside of the cinema and then talking about how they felt, how dark and horrible the ending was and how sad they were for her. And I was like, ah, I have a different story that I saw. Uh, a much <laughs> different experience watching that movie. So for me now, I just get this kind of comfort of feeling that I'm not alone in... Uh, the emotions that the characters are going through in this, but also from the viewpoint as well, that you're taking something that is in the mainstream spoken about that is always evil and horrible. And yet there is an empowerment and a sense of self-worth that kind of comes from the end of it. And that really strikes me every time. So that kind of lifts me up in that respect, because I always see Thomason as a character that you know, I, I, in the synopsis, you know, you mentioned that she has nothing left. And of course, emotionally, especially as a child, she has nothing left. 
but for her world, it just opened up in a way, at least Mm -hmm. thematically. And that part always resonates with me. Mm -hmm. Mike, what about you? Yeah, I like it. (laughs) I I, so I think I saw this like opening weekend. I really enjoyed it. I think I think movies like this about like fundamental extremism hit much different in 2021 than they do in 2016. Mm-hmm. When you see this country being pulled towards this inevitable minority rule where uh, there's just real fundamental evangelical beliefs and it feels like it's impossible to stop it um, mm-hmm. because there's just so many things against it. So movies like this kind of hit a lot different. It's fun to analyze it five years ago when it first come out and talk about it in like, relative theory um and now it's like hey it feels kind of like this world now except with better clothing and more creature comforts so you know i do i do like it i don't mean to make light of it i also sometimes have trouble separating the art from the artist and i think eggers is a bit much mm. i think you know i think like i haven't seen the lighthouse yet and i just oh it's amazing and it probably is but i'm just like I think like if Max Fisher, Max Fisher from Rushmore grew up to make movies, he would be Eggers. <laughs> it's kind of, and I love Rushmore, but that's one of my all time favorite movies, but I think that's who Eggers would be. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, I'm interested to talk about this movie because I do think it's a brilliant film, but I just feel like my, just some of the things about it have like shifted for me in the past four or five years. So mm, that's fair. Laura, what about you? Yeah. And, you know, just to I mean, I do actually understand where you're coming from, Mike, with like sort of the reaction to some of his personality. I I will say I think The Lighthouse is actually really, really funny. Mm -hmm. And despite its air of pretension, it's actually like it's just it's a really fun movie. I've I've actually seen it more times than The Witch. I like it more than The Witch. I don't there's something that's a controversial take, but I just really enjoy it. It's it's and the performances are insane. I think he actually is having fun with a lot of the Mm -hmm. expectations of him. And it's beautiful to look at. Like, yeah, it's okay. t- I, we were all joking. Like when we all, me and my friends saw it at Music Box in Chicago, and I will not keep talking about the lighthouse, but we were all like, oh, he did it for the gram because it was all in the four by three, you know? Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't know. I think he's, I'm really curious to see what this guy is going to keep doing and, and how he'll grow as a filmmaker, because I think he, he is just very authentic to his own ideas and ways of doing things and like he definitely has pretentious elements and it is very h24 and like it's it's the kind of thing you either are gonna like yum 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 eat it up or be like (laughs) okay oh brother you know and i and i would totally respect it not being someone's thing you know Mm -hmm. that said you know i i do love the witch i i've seen it god knows how many times it's one of those movies I've i've watched enough times where i'm like okay i must be really really drawn to something about this movie I have a bit of mixed feelings about what it's trying to say. Um, I'm not totally sure it has a very like consistent point of view. I think that there are some themes that Chandler, like me mentioned, that are absolutely there. And especially that idea of freedom from 
religious extremism through what is considered the traditional enemy, right? Satan, the idea of Satan as this like liberator or like ultimate rebel um, is definitely a thing. And it's like kind of like what modern Satanism is all about, especially if you watch the movie Hail Satan by Penny Lane. Like um, that's a documentary about, uh, I can't remember if it's, a, it's not the Anton LaVey Church of Satan. It's like the temp, people's temple. It's a satanic and, temple. Satanic temple. I can't fucking, the people's temple is Jonestown. Never mind. Uh, I can't remember the names of these things. Things, but it, to me, this is very in that vein. However, at the end of the day, you're still putting your name in the book of a dude who's like telling you to take your cloak off. And like, so I, and, and you're, and you're like killing babies. So it's kind of like what, you know, and then also like a lot of the like witch hunts of this era, you know, and I was a really big fan of like the fan. I was really interested in like the Salem witch trials and all that shit growing up. Oh, such a fan. Fangirl. <laughs> yeah. Same. And so, absolutely same. Right. You know, and so I'm like, I really, really appreciate the historic, like the mostly historic accuracy that this has and like really diving into the language and the, you know, the aesthetic of that era. And that final scene, literally looking like one of those wood carvings come to life of like witches cavorting in the woods with with the devil. But you know, it's, it is, it's the crucible. All of that was like religious hysteria to like demonize women. So it's kind of like, what is this trying to say? But I, I, I do think that ultimately, I mean, if you just kind of stay with Thomason and stay with her narrative, it can be, it can be really beautiful. I also, as I've mentioned before, like was, went to Catholic school for eight years, despite being Jewish and was basically told repeatedly that I was going to go to hell. And so it's just such a big fear of mine. So I can really, really relate to her in this in just that sense of like, you're looking at these authority figures, like begging them to accept you and begging them to make you feel like you're not bad. But at the end of the day, just feeling like I'm bad, I'm bad. I'm There's something in me that's rotting and bad and I'm going to go to hell. It's just like a feeling that I'm extremely familiar with. Um, and on top of that, it's just, it's a masterpiece of craft and performance. I think the performances in this movie are some of the most stunning, especially the, the younger, the child actors, the little boy that plays Caleb, whose name is, get this, Harvey Scrimshaw. Really? Oh, just that's a what a name. name. What a name. Yeah. Just like to say that. <laughs> like, I was just that like, is, what the hell? It's uh, like you just form your mouth around it, you know? That yeah. is like Scrimshaw. the name of like a 1980s wrestling jobber. Like that is absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah and his whole persona, his persona is like a sailor, you know? Yes. Yeah. Anyway, the I'm just like, I mean, it's really stunning. And, and the more times I watch it, the more I appreciate the nuance in the performances. I think it's masterfully you know, shot and directed, uh, the co everything is just perfect. It's it's a fucking masterpiece of craft, you know? Um, okay, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree with that. I love, 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 love this movie. I think I had heard about it and was really scared to watch it. Like sometimes I will... Um, if movies have like this really dark, like notorious reputation, I will avoid them because I'm too scared um, until I can like have them spoiled for me, you know, and this was one of them. So I watched it with my friend um, one night and I was so scared by the end of it. And part of that is the lighting. Like we watched it in her dark house. This film is so dark and that's something that tends to get me sometimes because there's that like unknown, is there something behind you? And so we like stopped it right at the point because I was so scared um, when she put her head down on the table and she woke up and she realized the door was open and it was dark and I was like, fuck. And so I just said, okay, we got to stop it. I have to go to the bathroom. And so I just like totally diluted all of the tension there, but we came <laughs> back and we pushed play and I was so not expecting to hear that whisper. Like that's 
like looking at it from a fan point now, I'm like, that is so fucking amazing. Cause that was the last thing I was expecting because they're like, other than the witch, like I was expecting the witch to come and get her or something, but it was just so effective, so scary. And so to come from that, like just being terrified to like literally like raising up into the air, it was just such an emotional ride to go on. I hear all of what everyone is saying about criticisms of it or like technical things. I tend to like I I have a really easy time letting go of a lot of that. And like this is a totally a gen movie, which when I think about that, I think like a movie where I can use it to understand how I see the world, you know, and project all over it. And this is exactly that for me. Like I have had a lot of I was raised really um, conservative in like southern religion and like it just always felt bad and like I talked about um and I say bad like not like I feel sad today but like I felt like a bad person you know <laughs> and I've I've mentioned that I've asked my therapist a couple of times if she thinks I'm evil and um I think this movie kind of helps me understand that maybe it's not that I may or may not be evil it is what who decides what evil is for me you know and what I love about this movie is it just kind of awakened this part of me that's like oh maybe there's something else maybe there's another option maybe I don't have to feel like shit all the time maybe the problem isn't me you know and that's some of what I want to talk about I have a lot of I'm just going to say this now I get a lot of imposter syndrome when I start talking about which things you know like <laughs> what do I identify myself as that and I still kind of trying to figure it out I'm not really in a hurry to make a big declaration about that but I just find that really fascinating and it's something that I'm really drawn to so when I watch this movie I'm like oh I can do that like I'm not gonna go kill babies in the woods but like if you right. look well, at the other option you know which one like I think there you, are arguments you know why are you closing that door off already Jen? <laughs> Like, you know, I would say leave yourself open girl, to all possibilities. Look, if there is Wi-Fi, <laughs> we'll talk about it. <laughs> Hashtag girl boss. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would I, be I'll cool be honest, to fly. Like, dude, the twins getting it in this movie to me is just it's, pure joy. It is gratifying. Like, they Those fucking two kids, suck. like, sucked. They do. I, I, I like the actors. Like, I think they put on such a good performance as these creepy twins and they're like, such mm -hmm. little assholes, but it is really gratifying to see them get theirs. Yeah. But they're also, yeah. like, weirdly cute. And so it's, it's It is just... pretty comical, too, like, how shitty <laughs> they are, you know, especially yeah. Mercy. I don't, I can't, I called yeah. him Boy Mercy because I couldn't and remember his name. <laughs> Mercy looks just like Warwick Davis, so it's really weird. <laughs> there's this cognitive dissonance when watching it this time i'm like that's fucking warwick davis from yeah. leprechaun and like willow he's like he's yeah. a little shit in willow as well yeah. and i i just yeah now that you mentioned that i can totally see the, the comparisons yeah. there. the fun fact about mercy like my cat's name is mercy and yes it is inspired by these characters really we got a black cat and we wanted to name the cat after you know you could do salem but mm -hmm. Uh, for one, for, for since you know Sabrina and all that, I, I associate Salem with more of a male cat kind of name, yeah. a female cat. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I want it something to be similar, but not as obvious. So we chose Mercy because of the witch. Because mm -hmm. of uh, do you know the um, the mythology of Mercy Brown in New England? That's I know Murphy Brown. <laughs> I love yeah, Murphy Brown. Brown. <laughs> I'm sorry. Murphy Brown is undoubtedly cooler than Mercy Brown. Mercy Brown uh, sounds really familiar, but I, I can't she was remember. The first American vampire on record. <gasps> uh, That's right. So. I think there's a lore episode about that. 
Okay. Yeah. That's, that's How do like, I not know about this? I'm ashamed of myself. I know. I'm oh. like, I've got to, I've got to do some Googling later. <laughs> yes. Go down the rabbit hole. It's right. a crazy story. And then of course you have Mercy Lewis, who was one of the uh, accusers during the Salem witch trials. There's one of right. the ones with Abigail. Hmm. So we chose that name and I, I can tell you this cat lives up to the name, at least in terms of the twin. Really? Uh, yeah. Very loud, uh, very uh, active and, uh, <laughs> Of of the devil on some days. Just like, is this not what you want from me? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you gave me this name. Right. <laughs> Put a name to Philip. <laughs> oh, well, okay. So let's start talking about specifics of this movie. Um, what do we love and why do we find it comforting? And I mean, maybe we can start with Black Philip, who I think is really, really interesting and the way that he turns out. And I think if we want to start with something else, like I'm fine with that too because I was like maybe we should start with the ending but I guess that's when we Black Philip kind of reveals himself you know yeah I mean the only note uh, notes I have on Philip are the you know actual death of the father and then I wrote down you know you're failing as a parent if you find yourself screaming have you made an unholy bond with that goat and your kids <laughs> <laughs> right there was another <laughs> sentence when, when we were I was looking at the synopsis I was like not knowing who to trust he locks all his kids in the barn and I was like <laughs> right, yeah. right. like great great there's some a lot of cho- a lot of choices made here good yeah. parenting right it, it is interesting to think that like he was legit there the whole time whispering to the twins mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the, the goat, what I think is really, I think goats are really cute. Mm-hmm. And so I look at that face of black Phillip and I'm just like, Oh, he's smiling. I love that little smirk on his face at that mm-hmm. one point. Mm-hmm. I, I do. And I do love that. William ends up buried under his massive wood pile. Mm-hmm. Like that's really all he's good for. The whole movie is chopping wood. Like whenever there's a major, Whenever there's a major decision that must be made, he heads outside with his axe and just cuts wood. And to be buried under that, to me, was yeah, just beautiful irony. Yeah. Well, it's a little little Amityville horror, and it's also, yes. I mean, to me, this is structured like a Greek tragedy. If we think of William as the protagonist, where mm-hmm. the dad would be the hero, and his hubris is what destroys the entire family. He's literally like taken down by the goat that he can't get control of, knocked into the wood that he chopped himself. Like all of the fruits of his labor are what bury him alive. And also like the thing with Caleb puking up the apple. Um, it's like such a symbol of the lie that he co- basically coerced his son into telling. And so it's like, I mean, literally all of these events happen because he's such a terrible father yeah. and, and terrible man. Mm-hmm. And like, and so it's, if you really look at it that way, it's it's because I would say that Thomason is the protagonist, but movie this movie is like structured as though he were the protagonist. And I think that's right. interesting. I don't yeah. know if he's a terrible man. I have a kind of a hard time He's a deeply flawed man. Yeah, I, would I mean, say. and is I think that there is like he tries to protect his children as best that he can. I think his he's a hypocritical man. Yeah, because you see him at the outset of the movie accusing the uh, you know local magistrates of being religious hypocrites and how they're not pious enough for his liking. Which again. If you're too extreme in your religion for the Puritans, you may you may want to take a step back and make yes. some new choices. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, like he will lie boldly to mm-hmm. his wife. Right. He'll allow, like he allows Caleb to lie at one point. And you can see how much it pains him. Yeah. But then the lies start to come easier over time. And you can see his pride also. So 
he's yeah. too proud. And I think at the you know, it's he's done in after he decides, okay, enough is enough. Like we need to actually leave here. And that's when he is killed by Black Phillip. But yeah, I, I found that a redeeming uh, quality of him as well is the fact that he does decide to concede once Kate has really expressed to him, yeah. this is too much for me. We have to go back to England. You can see mm-hmm. that his soul basically leaves his body. The yeah. thought of not only Puritans, but like potential Anglicans and Catholics mm-hmm. and all the things that they ran from in the first place yeah. that he'll do for his family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He definitely knows that he's wrong. I, I, I am a little triggered by that kind of belief system where it's basically for what I gathered from what he was saying to Caleb is basically like we it's the idea of predestination like you mm-hmm. don't know if your soul is marked you know basically you're marked from birth either for heaven right. or hell mm-hmm. and there's very little you can do about it which also right. kind of feeds into I think a lot of the excuses he makes in his own head like we're already sinful creatures like mm-hmm. God will either forgive me or he won't you know which is yeah. like allows right. him to behave the way he does and I'm that shit really pisses me off so right. definitely well, mad at him the entire movie. But there's <laughs> also like there's Catherine's fervor over like Sam not being baptized so she mm-hmm. a number of times in front of the children says like Sam is in hell right and my understanding is like Caleb is not baptized either like the father refused to allow Caleb to be baptized because he was upset with the the magistrates there and he was like he'll do it on his own in his own time um so Catherine is also like going on about when when Caleb fall, it falls ill that he's also burning in hell, which isn't predestination, but it's the idea of like original sin. And unless you're baptized, then uh, you're doomed to hell. Okay. Right. And see, that is my argument with people thinking, don't everyone yell at me, but like the witch gets a lot of shit for stealing and murdering a baby, which mm-hmm. I think we can all agree is bad and wrong and we should not steal and murder babies. But if we are to believe that Black Philip is real and Black Philip is a real entity in this, can we also believe that the God they are worshiping is real also? And mm-hmm. if Samuel is in hell... And I do not mean to belittle any beliefs that anyone has. I want to be careful in how I say this. But if God is the kind of deity that would sentence a baby to hell because a ritual has not been performed yet, is he not just as bad? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I and, and that is my central issue that I take with Christianity in general, which basically at, at the end of the day states, if you don't accept Christ as your savior, you're going to go to hell. And that was something I've wrestled with from my whole life, you know, given my own experiences. And it's something I'm just like, I just fundamentally can't wrap my brain around it. It's mm-hmm. like that you claim yeah. to be, uh, be all about love and forgiveness, but it's like, if love comes with strings attached, is it really love, you know? Exactly. Um, if love comes with one gender being able to be a complete powerful person and the other gender having to do whatever that other gender says, that's mm-hmm. not something I want, you know? Right. It, to me, it feels just it just feels wrong in my soul, you know, yeah. and 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 I think that this movie does explore that. I think it, it that is kind of the unspoken thing at the heart of this movie is that idea. Uh, and and it and it comes to me. It's all tied up in the like idea of like your parents and your parents' love and like what you have to mm-hmm. do to earn earn their love, which we see going on so much with Thomas and that she feels like no matter what she does, um, she can't, she is not worthy of the love of, especially of her mother, but also her father. And you see her doing a lot of like really childlike things to, to try and sway them in her favor. And it's Mm -hmm. like, that's not how it should be. You should just love your children because they're your children. And so I feel like there's that, that is echoed in that religious theme, you know? So she, 
she turns to the devil or Black Philip, if you will, because he's offering her just do this one thing. But but again, that's my issue with it. There is that it also comes with a string attached. Sign your right. name in my book, you yeah. know. So it's it's really yeah. the same thing. Um, yeah. And that's where, that's where I get caught up in my head. Is like it would be one thing if it was like, well, now you're free and you go into the woods and discover yeah. some kind of like r- nature magic or something. But it's all tied into that 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 Judeo Christian power dynamic and it's so obsessed with power right and who, who wields it and yeah. you know and, and that really bothers me <laughs> i don't know i made that note like re-watching it last night i made that note that the end of this movie for as freeing as it is for thomason it's also like a male fantasy yes um yeah. come to life like you literally if you're black philip you literally have like a harem of beautiful women that are completely free except that they live to serve you and you have this power to grant mm-hmm. them that freedom and all that um they owe you is basically everything like their complete allegiance like if that is not like a you know Snyderverse bro <laughs> come to life i don't really know what else would be i think to the point about heaven and hell and like who is damned or saved you know i'm someone that has faith that there's something else after this I don't know quite what it is. And I think one of the fundamental problems with religion, I think it's too large to grasp. And I think one of the fundamental problems of any religion is that it's basically our, it's humanity's flawed way of trying to make sense and interpret something that is much, much larger than ourself and much larger to grasp. And Mm -hmm. what you end up having Mm -hmm. is basically a set of stringent rules. I mean, much like the U.S. Constitution, it's a 250-year-old document that could never have foreseen the kind of advances that we've made as a society, and it's hopelessly out of date. We'll multiply Mm -hmm. that by 10 when it comes to, you know, Christianity at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And it's like, you know, much like I think the Constitution needs to be amended in several places, we need to. (laughs) And and that's it. Like, you know, the the only Christians sect that I've ever felt like I had a good conversation with about this kind of stuff were like the Jesuits, because it was Mm -hmm. kind of a more intellectual approach to it Mm -hmm. uh, and and more focused on the love and forgiveness aspect of it, which, you know, is really beautiful. And and I completely agree. Like I am actually like, I do believe in a, in a greater power. I don't call it God. I just, I feel like there's a collective unconscious that we're part of that's bigger Mm -hmm. than us, but I completely agree. I think religion is just us fucking it up somehow. We just keep (laughs) screwing it up. Totally. And I feel like I probably, somebody's probably writing a mean email about what I said earlier, because I don't have a problem with Christianity at all. I, I do believe in God. I was raised Christian. Some of the people that I love most in the world are Christians and I respect everyone's beliefs. The problem I have is this fundamentalist understanding of what yes. God is. And that's something right. that like I've had to really shift in um in the last couple of years is what I understand God to be. And I'm still not mm-hmm. quite sure where right. I am. I still believe God exists. I just feel like the package that I have been presented as God, mm-hmm. I'm not interested in. And the thing that right. really, really drew me to witchcraft, I was listening to a pod a podcast called The Witch Wave by uh, with Pam Grossman, who's it's just it's a great show. But she got a listener wrote in and said, "Okay, well, what's a book I should read? What's the book if I want to learn how to be a witch? What's the book I should read?" And she was like, "You know, there's really not one book. There's not one way. You kind of just like learn a bunch of stuff and then you figure out your own path." And that was so opposite of everything that I had been raised in like the Bible. It says, literally, I am the truth, the way and the light. This is the only way. And we see this so clearly in this movie 
is that these are the rules you have to live by them or you're going to hell. And sometimes you don't even get the choice to live by the rules or not because maybe you're a baby and you die, you know? And mm-hmm. there's no hope for you, especially for someone like Thomason who just, like, her entire life is controlled, you know? And so, like, when I look at the ending of this movie, I do feel really liberated and really free, but it's also kind of a little bit like the ending of Midsummer, you know? Whereas, like, if you look, like, the next week, or were you going to say that, Chandler? Yeah. I was going to say it, yeah. Yeah, it's like, if you follow the three of this i'm not sure where it leads i think mm-hmm. the difference between this and a midsummer in with midsummer like danny's completely given herself over to this new community mm-hmm. and she's experienced a number of things in life or for tomlinson i think this might be a good way to shift into like tomlinson as a character and her struggles like tomlinson has experienced nothing outside of the this really fundamental religion and this yep. really and I can't believe that I'm going to use this word on the show for a change, like the patriarchy. For <laughs> every time you I say think it, that might be the, <laughs> a feminist. I think that might be the first get, get, time get, I've get, ever get, said it. Um, she's I'm never a really had bad joke there. <laughs> she's she's never had the chance to experience anything else aside from this. Yeah. So everything yeah. that she does, at least in the immediate aftermath, and I honestly would say for years to come, is going to be like these new experiences, and she's also she's cast everybody else off at this point. And I think like it's, it's rewatch rewatching it last night, seeing her like cast off her cloak uh, when she walks into the homestead for the first time. And then when she casts off like the undergarments after that, she's basically like symbolically saying she's completely free. Mm-hmm. What I found fascinating in looking at her character is how, throughout the movie until that last act. And I think Chandler, this might, you know, I think you were talking to Jen offline about why you chose this movie mm-hmm. is how she struggles to find her place in what's expected of her. And she yeah. feels this constant disappointment that she in herself, that she's not able to do so. And she feels that there's something inherently wrong with her because she can't. And I, it's fascinating in the opening scenes of the movie how when William is making his speech to the magistrates, the camera is very tight on Tomlinson's face, almost like she's pleading, please don't go ahead with this. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. as they're leaving the community, she is the only one looking back on it as the doors are closing. Like she doesn't want to leave all this behind. Like there's mm-hmm. the comforts that are there are things that she wants but at the same time, she hates herself for wanting those comforts and it finds her lacking in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what I related to so heavily with the film as well. And uh, I grew up in Mississippi and uh, not an, under a very strict religious household necessarily, but my parents were divorced uh, when I was quite young. So I was raised Christian. I was raised by my mother for the most part. And there was a time that my mom became quite ill. and. I didn't know about it. I was like 11 or so. And she's like, hey, you should get to know your dad a little bit better. I was like, oh, okay. You you have never said anything quite this kind about my father to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> And so I didn't really realize much about it because to me, my dad was just a massive hero. I didn't know him very well other than the times I saw him at my birthdays. So he was the best guy in the world. So I was like, hell yes, let's do this. What I didn't know, and what she didn't know either, is that he had kind of made some connections with some people who were really deep into like, Pentecostal um, 
communes, basically. Mm. They would bring in people off the streets who do drugs. They would bring in all kinds of people from prisons. And basically what we see Black Philip do to Thomason at the end of the film, they kind of do. They really prey on somebody at their most vulnerable moment and offer them something quite simple mm-hmm. that just seems like the most wonderful thing in the world, which in this case was a home and a family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a very abusive home and a very abusive family. I've seen some uh, pretty horrible spats between the people who live there. And mm-hmm. although my living with my dad, I will say straight up, you know, I, I don't want to like, I, I don't have like the strongest relationship, but you know, my dad's still a very good man. I just feel that he was kind of like William, a bit misguided and trying to find a way to make a household that worked. So he, he had me who was around 12 or so already kind of raised. And I had that feeling when I went to see him at first, I was excited, but I did have that kind of like looking back to my home back where my mom lived and then come, you know, come to find out he was also recently married. So I had a stepmother who also didn't really know about me. It was a whole thing, but mm-hmm. you know, we, they chose religion as the way to bind our household together. And it pretty much tore us even farther apart. The, the mm-hmm. level of uh, vitality that was in our household just due to these extremist views. And so that's where I can connect with her the most, but I, I do see those readings that you're talking about as well of how, is it really a happy ending? No, no. Like I would say the very, very end. No, I mean, she's going mad as well. And that madness, mm-hmm. I think, oddly, that's where the comfort lies for me, mm-hmm. I suppose, is just seeing somebody go through the madness. Yeah. Basically. yeah. It just feels so fucking good to throw all that control off, you know? Yeah. It's like I am becoming the Joker. Yeah, it's, I say that a lot, but it's because <laughs> yeah. there's there's some, something in that idea that I fully relate to, especially over after this mm-hmm. last year. I'm like, it's right. just all thrown yeah. out the window, motherfuckers. And so, yeah. yeah. I, I, Laugh it off. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, and I think there's so, like, we are so, I know so well what the opposite was, what that control is. And so I feel like we don't see what the next day, the next month, the next year is. You know, mm-hmm. like in my little gin fantasy, maybe she becomes like queen of hell and she like, she casts <laughs> off the devil. Like, I think that she has now been able to make a choice and that is empowering we don't know what the choice is going to be. So I can just kind of live in that empowering moment because the the reality is like, I am not in the woods. I don't have black Philip whispering behind me. I'm not like flying in the air, but I can feel like it. And when I go and I see somebody like being a jerk to me, I can remember that feeling and I can say, no, I don't have to take this, you know? And so that's what I can take away from it. I also have a reading of this though, with, with the, witch in the woods that like William and his family have kind of encroached on her territory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like this is oh, her yeah. land that she's living off of. And, you know, you know, William has basically made it his life's goal to cut down every tree in the forest. And then where is she going to live? But, you know, so they, there's a reading of it where they're interlopers at that point. And, you know, I mean, not that it's justifies necessarily killing the baby or the children, but she's protecting her own territory at that point. So there is a part mm-hmm. of it that is yeah. that as well. Like, what would what do you think would happen if like the witch was in the woods and William stumbled upon her and knew that she was a witch and she was completely benevolent and harmless? He would still yeah, he'd kill her exactly. Kill her. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's there's that little flash at the beginning of the movie where you see um, in the settlement, the like 
there's like two or three Native American guys like mm-hmm. walking and it's just mm-hmm. kind of this little flicker of a reminder of what was about to happen. America was yeah. about to happen. Yep. It was, it's our relentless quest to, you know, expand Ooh. and conquer the, the wilderness. And he said, you know, he even says at one point, like, we will not let this wilderness consume us. Mm-hmm. Like we are going yeah. to, we're going to be, we're going to master it. Yeah. And that's, that's mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Bootstrapping yeah. American manifest destiny bullshit that, you know, really bites them in the ass in, in this mm-hmm. case. Uh, yeah. And I, I just, I also just watched this movie, The Gray, last night with my friends because mm. we do our Friday night movie. And that, that's kind of like, I mean, wildly different movie, but it has in common this idea of these guys who are at like oil drillers up in Alaska and their plane crashes and then they have to fight a bunch of wolves. And mm-hmm. it's like, <laughs> Who's really the villain in that movie? Is yeah. it is it the wolves or is it these dudes who are like trying to to despoil to, to one of the last natural landscapes? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I do think there's like a man versus nature, <laughs> you know, conflict in this as well. I think that's a really good insight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I like. I see William as kind of an extension of this patriarchal system. You know, I feel like, you know, as much as I feel like I read him as the bad guy and I am triggered by him kind of, kind of along the lines of what Laura was talking about, just because of my own past experiences. Like, I feel like he is very flawed and his pride is his biggest sin, but and I don't, I don't even want to say sin. Like his, that mm-hmm. is the flaw that really tears his family apart. And I think the thing mm-hmm. that frustrates me so much about him is he just drags his whole family along. And because the patriarchy has told him that he is the only one who can make this decision, he's not listening to any input from the outside, from mm-hmm. anybody else who is also a stakeholder in this, you know, until yeah. the shit goes down and two of his kids are already dead. And they're like, no, we had safety here. All it would take is you admitting that you were wrong about this thing or, hey, we can disagree about this and we could have stayed mm-hmm. in this settlement and that's the thing I think that really that r- really bugs me about him but I will say, also say there's a moment that really strikes me in this movie is when he apologizes for stealing the cup and he just mm-hmm. says I stole the cup forgive me and that really hit me mostly because yeah. that was something I never saw in my own family and right, I was like right. oh he, he is yeah. willing to admit that he did this thing that was wrong it's just I feel like he believes that it's his job to make all of the decisions and to be strong and he won't let anyone else support him, you know? Well, it's, it's also the patriarchy's hurting him. In that exactly. Because, you, yeah. you know, and there's that, and I completely blacked out on the the scene where he's like crying in the middle of the night, crying, like, this is my fault. Uh-huh. I fucked up. Forgive me. And it's like, that's really sad. Yeah. Like, yeah. Part of me wonders whether his piety was just basically a cover for him feeling like a failure maybe within the settlement. Yeah. Because you see yeah. throughout the movie, there's a number of times where he's just not good at anything. He can't raise corn. He can't hunt. He can't, there, he can't trap. Like he basically, he can't protect his family from anything. There's nothing for him that is there. He plants the wrong crop. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that he, aside, again, aside from chopping wood, which he can't, do capitalism because he can't sell any of this wood, which you think would be a hot commodity that people would want. So you wonder if like he's hiding behind this religious piety because throughout the movie, he conjured, his wife is far more of a zealot and Mm -hmm. far more of a, by the letter of the Bible in tenets of like this fundamental Calvinism than he is because he often contradicts her. And he says, look, there's no way our our child is in hell. Like it's a baby. Like God wouldn't do that. But that flies in the face of everything that he's been taught and everything mm-hmm. that he's preached. 
So I, you know, and my wife and I are equal partners and there's a lot of things where I just like hand the reins to her on. Um, like when we did the home refinance, like when people would call me, I'd be like, talk to her. Like this is her <laughs> ball. She's, and I would repeatedly have to say like, you need to ask her, she's driving this bus. Like, Mm-hmm. right now like she's like a, a real i would never tell her this to her fit i would i always do she's a brilliant woman um, <laughs> <laughs> um i thought of that joke from the office like right you know, don't ever say that i would never say this to her face but like she's really one of the kindest people like why would she, why tell would her she say that? <laughs> yeah. but you know my wife is like this very intelligent woman who we're equal partners in things and he's just nodding allowing allowing himself to do this he's cut himself off from everybody I had a point there, then I got lost in my joke, so I apologize. <laughs> well, welcome to my world, baby. No. <laughs> what well, was I saying? I think it's interesting too, because like when I look at what the patriarchy does, the patriarchy exists to tell white men that they're better than everyone else and they deserve everything mm. more than everyone else. And so this system, when he feels like shit and he feels worthless, he's got a system telling him that he's not for yeah. no virtue other than the fact that he was born a white man who identifies as a white man. And so I think there's there's power for him in that. The fa- the problem is it fucks everybody else, you know? Yeah, and I think there's some of that. But you can also break it down to our own cognitive dissonance as well. And I think there's also not just this overarching patriarchy, but we also struggle internally with our own, you know, our own fundamental worldview and mm-hmm. our own, like, inherent beliefs overall. And he's someone who deep down knows he's not a success, and feels like he had, and he doesn't know how to break himself out of that. He doesn't allow himself the space inside of his own brain to like say, and, and they could because like they're completely cut off from the rest of society. There's nothing that tells him this is w- the way that we have to live at that point. But he's so trapped within his own worldview and his own head that he doesn't have like the psychological strength to really break out of that that worldview, despite him telling himself over and over again, like, this isn't working. Yeah. Well, I also think it's, you know, his family are very unhappy as well. Not, no. not it, you know, nobody really supported the movement to to leave. Mm. And with uh, Catherine being as pious as she is, she, you know, she's very good about reminding him about when he's straying away from what he learned from the Bible. So in that hubris that he has, that personality that he has of the, the, the strong pride mm-hmm. of not, you know, he wants, as you say, he wants to be good at something. He wants to succeed, but then he's reminded when, well, are you really succeeding? And then he cuts corners here and he cuts mm-hmm. corners there. And mm-hmm. eventually you're kind of juggling. It starts with juggling, you know, bowling pins and it turns into juggling chainsaws at a mm. certain point. And yeah. Like, I hope you have the skills for that because you set it up for yourself. Right. And I feel like the problem is not necessarily that he is not good at these things. I think the problem is that he relies solely on himself to do it. Like, Mike, you were talking yeah. about your wife is in charge of your finances. And I hope I'm not generalizing that in an inaccurate way. No, but like, right. But like in like in this society, a woman would never be in charge of the of finances, not, yeah. you know. And so like that, like there's mm-hmm. no freedom to say, okay, well, maybe my wife might be better at raising this corn or maybe mm-hmm. my wife might be better at hunting. So let me let her do that. You mm-hmm. know, there's no right. there's no ability to do that in this system. And that's really, that is what fucks everyone because I don't yeah. think that William is inherently a bad person. I think he, they all have bought into a system that forces them into roles that they yeah. don't, that don't fit, you know? There's also a, there's a gentleness to William that I forgot was there because there are moments where Catherine really lays into him 
in a way mm-hmm. that she, I mean, she basically lays that into all of his flaws and she's right about all of them, but it's like, it's the, not the right moment to do that. And I honestly thought that he was going to strike her because I did too. it would have been expected mm-hmm. according to that society's mores. Like there mm-hmm. would have been justification in it. And he never strikes her. He's always and even he, there's a gentleness to him, I think. Yeah. That I wouldn't expect to be there given his strident fundamentalism. I think he's so self-aware as well. You know, yeah. that's what you did mention before how it he shows on his face how it pains him when he's lying to Caleb. And even though they're little white lies, you see how Catherine mm-hmm. responds to it. Lying is a sin. So but yeah, so I, I feel that, that that self-awareness is where some of that gentleness comes from. Because if somebody's yelling at you and it's all correct, I mean, I think we're probably more prone to break down and cry and Mm -hmm. walk away from the situation than we are to blame that other person, depending, of course, on how you've been raised and what systems you're a part of. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if maybe the freedom that they have to do it their way keeps it from blowing up or or what, but uh, you were going to say something, Laura? Well, just that I think it's, it's also just like good writing because, and and an amazing performance from the actor playing him because Mm -hmm. it would have been, I think again, if this movie was written by someone a little less subtle he would have like struck his wife and just been a total asshole or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he does have these sort of tender human moments and that he he knows and that we can see without them telling us in an obvious way that he knows he's full of shit is really impactful. And like, cause you know, I always call it the, I don't call it this, it's from the website TV tropes. They call it the kick the dog trope um, mm-hmm. when they have a character who just does something nasty to prove that they're the bad guy, you know? And like, it would have been very easy to like Mike said, to have him strike his wife or just be like abusive in some way. Cause he, it would fit the character type, the archetype. Um, but they don't go for that. They don't go for that lowest common denominator. They make him this really conflicted guy. And it's, and it's all, that's why it's all the more, painful that you know what happens to him happens and you know he's really taken down by his own bullshit and he knows it at the last minute he it's like he was gonna fight the goat or and he he picks up the the axe and then he mm-hmm. just drops it and goes like i did this basically and then the yeah. goat gores him and uh that's it you know for him yeah if anything it's it's the mother that's more cruel to thomason it's you know that that sequence where she's screaming i love you i love you i love you while like hitting her uh, over the head with this mm-hmm. fate or whatever it is is just so mm-hmm. heartbreaking you know because yeah. she really does love her parents and she really craves their love because all children do yeah. you know mm-hmm. well in the moment when um william takes thomason out or after caleb has died and he's like just tell me if you're a witch i can't do anything like we've got a window where we can do something about this right now and i've always kind of wondered what he was going to do because like the implication is like if if once every Everyone finds out we're screwed. And it reminded me of those like interrogation scenes, you know, like just mm-hmm. tell me now. And I just wonder, like, I still think that he probably would have gone through all of the motions that we would expect most people like the Salem witch trial stuff would have still Agreed. played out. But I, but it just, it's interesting the way he presents that to her. Yeah. And I do mm-hmm. think that he cares about Thomason. I think he was trying to save her soul and not her body. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. yeah, he didn't want to have another Samuel and Caleb situation. Right. Ah. Mm. Let one child go to heaven and yeah. Yeah. Which leads me back to some of my other problems that I've already talked about. So I won't rehash <laughs> that here. But, but that, that moment, I do think that's a moment of gentleness. No. Um, shall we talk about Catherine? Because, woo. Has I mostly want to talk about that scene where she wakes up. You mean the crow scene? Yeah, yeah. Woo. Which is... 
the Halloween costume I did in 2016 was, oh was, was that. And I had a fake crow on my wrist and a big booby blood stain. And I kept like putting the crow up to it all night and going like, <laughs> you know? like it's to, the reason I did that is because when I saw it in the theater, that is by far the, the, you could tell, and this is what I miss so much about movie theaters is um, having that moment of collective like gasp or collective mm. feel yeah. it. That, that whole sequence, because the way it's edited is so beautiful where they're in the barn and the kids, you know, something, they hear something and then they look over and they see the witch and then they intercut that to, you see her sitting in the chair and you realize it's not the baby at her breast, it's the crow pecking her titty off, you know, and and in the, the whole audience just, you could just feel this moment of like complete revulsion at that moment because the way it just cuts in so suddenly and it's just like, everyone was like, Ugh, you just it rippled through the audience like a wave and I was just delighted. I was like, oh, that's <laughs> so horrible i'm living for it and so i just and and a great performance also from that actress and um mm-hmm. yeah I, I, she's a she's interesting yeah but a, a disappointing mother figure for sure <laughs> yes well that scene is like five Ooh, triggers yeah. like wrapped into one for me yeah, as yeah, evidenced yeah. by you guys all seeing me just like squirming and losing mm-hmm. my mind <laughs> like as a person who has nursed before like Oh yeah, no, it makes my nipples hurt just Ooh. thinking about it. And I've no, I got no babies. It's just there's something about it that's like ah, it's horrible. <laughs> I feel like I could really dive into a what is the crow and her breast like representing as her as a mother. I d- I think the scene is really just too upsetting for me to really want to dive in too far to it. Mm-hmm. But oh, that scene that ugh. sorry, <laughs> I, I, I shall retire my thoughts on that because. and you know i do feel very badly for her throughout the course of this i mean she is really really grieving she just has she suffers like loss after loss after loss in such a short amount of time and and the fact that she wants to keep her father's cup and that she has this yearning for home that moment when she just says i want to go home um is i mean just breaks my heart every time i see it because you know you just Mm -hmm. you're so I'm so struck at the beginning of the film by like how in the middle of nowhere they are, you know, and like just that idea of like pioneers who would do stuff like this has always been alarming to me. Like, I just can't even fathom what it would take mentally to do that. Mm-hmm. And just her, her, she loses two children and she just wants to go home. And like, she's just such a little girl in that moment. Mm-hmm. And, and you just, it's one of those moments where you realize like all these characters and everyone you meet really has got a little hurt child inside mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. And uh, I really felt it for her in that moment. Yeah. I get really angry with her because just of my own past experiences, you know, I, again, I project a lot of stuff onto this movie, but I think what's interesting is we really don't ever see her interact with Thomason before Samuel disappears. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and I just wonder how that changed their relationship because their relationship is garbage throughout this entire movie. Oh, yeah. Like she does, she clearly doesn't even really want to look at Thomason or be around her. And I can imagine if you kind of blame her for the disappearance of your baby whether it was her fault or not like I can understand that really being a hard thing on a relationship I tend to kind of read it as going back to a lot of my patriarchy read like this is a woman's place in the home and once Thomason becomes more of a woman is she going to take that place for me which is why she wants to send her out to another home and the problem is they're just isolated so there is no offshoot for Thomason. She can't form any other relationships. And so, you know, mm-hmm. she she mm-hmm. becomes competition. I think that's my reading more than the film's reading, but you know, I think that's how I read it as well. Yeah, I would say that sense of not having a place. Like that's where I feel I think this was a rare movie where honestly there's not one real villain. And I just think mm-hmm. that it's mm-hmm. basically not being able to 
get out of what I mean, I would say maybe the witch in the woods would be the closest thing to the villain because again, eating and bathing in baby blood. So that's typically <laughs> villainous. Yeah, yeah, you can kind of chalk that one up to being you know, bad. Classically villainous. I, yes. We're classic yeah. villains. So maybe that's a, so there is a villain in this movie. So, <laughs> but I don't see Catherine as necessarily villainous, although her her actions become more so throughout the movie. But I see someone who's struggling to know does she still have a function? Yeah, because she's had five children at this point, and that those years seem to be behind them. At this point, and that was one of her primary functions was like increasing the brood that she's not raising Mercy and Twinny number two. Like basically, Thomason yeah. is starting mm-hmm. to fulfill that role. Like she's doing the motherly chores, she's doing the household chores, and the mom is left. I don't even want to say left to her own grief, but she's left to her own space, and she mm-hmm. doesn't seem to have. And that's why she's. And she, you see, not just anger at Thomason, but I think also this real fear that Tomlinson is somehow replacing her. And you, Mm -hmm. she says that at the end, you see some of her anxieties come out when she says, I saw how your brother looked at you and your father too. And again, you see it with Tomlinson. I mean, you see that with with Caleb once when they're at the lake, the little moors. Uh, He definitely is giving his sister the once over, but Mm -hmm. I kind of chalk that up to that there are no other women around and he's exactly. approaching yeah. that age. Yeah. Um, you, I never got the mo- uh, impression that dad was anything but appropriate. Right. It's just that I, that, that it's that classic. Like I almost think of it as like the babe, the babysitter trope where it's like the young, the young woman doesn't have a place in the home because she is, you know, you know, she should be out of the home at that point. I'm not saying I think this, it's just the way that it's structured. Like mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. you don't, uh, a young budding young woman hitting her her menses is like a threat to the household that's kind of yeah. like a that's definitely a, a, a trope and a and an, and an idea that has infected western civilization and it's that mm-hmm. idea like that's why she like the first excuse she has she wants to get thomason out of there um and this yeah. was the first time i realized like i never made the connection before with this watch where like because i always thought it was weird that they had caleb like eyeball her cleavage or whatever her you know and um it, it made me like Oh, that's why he's so drawn in by the big sexy witch in the woods is because he's like hitting puberty. Like yeah. I think that was really really only there to demonstrate that he would be enchanted by this woman. He's because he looks really young, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it's like it, it was, you know, that that moment where she kisses him in the woods is so uncomfortable for a variety of reasons. One, because he looks like a child, but it's also like you can see that he's really drawn to her and that she's and she appears in the guise, uh, you know, because it's I think it's understood that she's actually the old crone. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she appears in the guise of this beautiful woman to to entice Caleb in. And, and so I think that that was like maybe the main reason they they showed him being yeah. looking at his sister's body you know it's like he's I think so. he's hitting that age you know so well and i think it taps into this fear of sexuality and fear of urges you know because mm-hmm. i mean that's also like it's really unfair to their children for them to have moved out where like a 13 year old boy who is going to have sexual urges has no outlet other than his sister like that that's just trying to control a natural thing that is going to happen with your body um, mm-hmm. and i feel like that's that's like she becomes dangerous because she is now a sexual being which is part of like the throwing the cloak off at the end too yeah, well, I mean, it's just the whole puritanical approach to sex is its own thing, and like, and, yeah. and the and the the witches being so sexual is the ultimate like middle finger to that attitude. Yeah, 
Also, back to their views on sin, we have the whole conversation between William and Caleb when, you know, it's basically showing an origin where that whole, ah, boys will be boys kind of attitude Mm -hmm. comes from. Basically, you're saying, so we all commit or we all have urges and some of us act on those urges. And rather than, you know, being accountable for our actions and being responsible for the things that we do, we can also write it off to, but that's just how God made us. This is the sin that we, we have to bear. And ah, you slipped up, but the sin mm-hmm. got the better of you. And so with Catherine's position, where she's more vulnerable and fearful and alone, isolated, as as, uh, as Mike is pointing out, without you know having a space for herself, just purely isolated in some way, I can imagine that becomes a more fearful thing if she fears the sins of the father and the son mm-hmm. and what could happen. So I always wondered if it was partial protection for Thomason, but also partial, I don't know, uh, I don't want to say jealousy, but I more mean just that fear of kind of being usurped in her position mm-hmm. in the household. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I mean, I think that that patriarchal, puritanical way of thinking encourages that, right? It encourages mm-hmm. you, women to to not trust each other and mm-hmm. it encourage you know it encourages one woman to to take on a certain type of role and that that's her place. And now that she yeah. is a young woman, she doesn't belong here anymore because it doesn't fit the system, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and because we don't question that the the urges that men have, that boys will be right. boys thing, a woman it's always her fault. who caught exactly, she's the liability mm. in the house because she's developing. And so exactly. like when she casts her shift off, there's a part of me that's like, "Okay, they're saying, "Oh, I can be sexual. It's okay for me not to be afraid." Like we don't ever see her without a a head covering, you know? Like she she's finally allowed to just un cover her hair towards the end mm-hmm. and that's just right. so like liberating in a lot of ways um can we talk about the witch in the woods because Ooh. i love her <laughs> and this is where <laughs> she like and uh, speaking of hair like she's one of the first women we see that her hair is flowing and it's down and like she's allowed to look the way she looks without constructing all of these clothes to cover that up to cover the the sinful desiring like tantalizing things about her um and the thing that i really love about this movie and i think the thing that i'm really makes me really drawn to witches in general is this this feeling that if me being a sexual person is going that that's a bad thing then fuck it i'm going to be bad you know i'm just right. going to go like like if you're scared of me for for wanting to have choice about my body and who i am and what i'm i want to say then i'm going to be bad and like that's taking power and it's kind of like what we talked about in our candyman episode like i feel like there's a problematic element to that and i don't want to be seen as a bad person but if those are my two options that's more appealing to me you know like yeah if you're going to tell me what to do every day i will go live in the woods you know i think you need- to look at who's writing these binary concepts of good and bad though exactly that's mm-hmm. part of it yeah. it's like what's being defined as bad behavior and i think mm-hmm. that our rigid definitions of what that falls under it's like definitely evolves or shift depending on where culture is at the time and depending on what the mores are at the time mm-hmm. and depending who's telling it to you as well yeah. yes And that's where we landed when, like, because I talked about this in therapy a little while ago about this thing, like, am I evil? And where we landed was, yeah, maybe, but other people don't get to decide what that means for Mm -hmm. me. Like, if this is what society says evil is, if that's making choices, then yes. But 
for I the can... record, I don't I don't think you're evil. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, no. yeah, and that was the thing. Like, if this is the word that we associate with this, then I'll take that word, you know? Sure. Right. But yeah, I it's... agree. It's like, and that's the problem with this movie is that there is a dichotomy and there are no, there's no space in between, you know? Yeah, and it's like, why... Is it in order to be liberated and sexual, you have to kill babies and rub their goo all over you? You know, exactly. I mean, that's a bit that's a bit much just putting that out there. And I, I think that's agree. also Yeah, and it's like this <laughs> idea that she they steal youth to become youthful. Like, mm-hmm. so that's how I read it, is that she appears as this crone, but she needs these she needs to, to kill children and babies to gain her power to fly, to look young and beautiful. And I feel like there's something real weird in that idea yeah. that like that mm-hmm. very much like you bitches are aging and, you know, like, I would just deal yeah. with being old and you old crone and like that kind of thing. There's just mm-hmm. a whole bunch of fucked up ideas yeah. buried in that and that I don't, that I'm not a huge fan of. But again, this movie was exploring the folklore of the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it very explicitly yeah. says it's a folk tale. And I mean, I don't remember, I haven't, I, I meant to reread this interview with Eggers, but I read it a long time ago. But um, he said something like he really just wanted to pre- pretend like all of that shit was real. Mm-hmm. And that was the, the premise of the film, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mm-hmm. think that they obviously there's a ton of themes buried in it. But if you read it on its face, it really is just like, what, what if the witches were real and mm-hmm. in the woods, you know? Right. <laughs> My understanding is all the dialogue from the movie comes from yeah journals from that period like it does yeah he says he wrote the movie like he wrote journal entries out and magistrate records out which i think is really Mm -hmm. impressive and that's why it has that ring of authenticity that makes it really cool and different so if washing yourself in baby's blood gives you the youthful appearance is the opposite true where if you're like 12 (laughs) and you want to buy booze like if you murder Mm. an old person will you all of a sudden (laughs) pass for like 40 Only one way to find out. I know. I'm picturing Teen Wolf like, gift thou. (laughs) I can't can't pull it off. (laughs) The joke is in my head and it's hilarious. So just believe me, everyone. What's thou like to live geriatrically? (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Uh, well, and I also want to say for the record, too, like, I think this movie really taps into a lot of my anger at how, like, the system I was raised in, you know, and I think I view it as more an allegory than, like, a literal way that I want to live my life. Like, I, yeah, I to, totally. just yeah. for the record, I'm not going to steal anybody's babies or kill them. I should make it <laughs> no. very clear. And I am also not signing on to that. Like, I don't, I'm not endorsing that behavior. But I think this, the the reason that I love this movie so much is it really helps me get a lot of that out you know i gotta be honest jen i feel like you're going so far into the (laughs) anti-murdering babies track that you're just laying ground cover so i mean (laughs) she doth protest too much (laughs) could not be me look how many times i said i wouldn't do it (laughs) exactly jam right could not possibly i just want you to know that i'm not Creepy. I'm definitely, that's how I introduce myself to people. I'm definitely not a murderer. And then right, I smile. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, they dress the same as everyone else. I do think there's a grain of truth in the fact that I do want to make that very, very, very clear because as mm-hmm. a woman who's talking about these things, somebody's mm-hmm. going to have a problem with it and somebody's going to yeah, yell. Of course. Right, it's, you're tapping into those fears. And I think it's interesting, and this is maybe going to Galaxy Brain Take with this, but like the, all the like QAnon stuff is like obsessed with pedophilia and like hurting mm-hmm. children. And it's like, who, why are you so locked in on this? Like, mm-hmm. just like call, the only people that are, are hurting kids are like the these institutions that you're, you, yep. you venerate. So yep. it's like, what the hell is with that? There's something in the like subconscious, like or the collective unconscious of like, mm-hmm 
puritanical American culture that is obsessed with like hurting children. And it's like, what, why though? You know, I, I feel like that's an interesting that's, avenue to explore. It's like the ultimate taboo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I will say, I mean, like with like the feelings that Jen and I have uh, discussed and Laura as well, that we kind of resonate with this film. I would say that the people who hurt me most as a child were the ones who claimed that they were doing everything for my benefit that yep. they were yeah. trying to protect me. And yet they were the ones who were putting me in cars and be like, are you, your father wants to know, are you gay? And mm-hmm. I coming home from church, you know, kind of abusing that, that uh, trust to put me in a very difficult position to answer questions that I didn't want to answer with a person that I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. or just committing, you know, uh, if you're severely bullied, like I was, uh, you go to people to tell them how you feel and they go, ah, yeah, you know, but they're just expressing themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, when I complained about being bullied, they told me I should try harder to make friends, you know, like that. Kind yeah. Of, same. Yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, yep, that's exactly what's happening. And uh, yeah. And we, and you know, I mean, they, we, I'm not even going to get into the Catholic church, having gone to a Catholic school where one of the priests was a uh, molest, you know, uh, that, that was a thing, you know, luckily I did not experience that, but you know, mm-hmm. it was definitely known after the fact. So, you know, same it's here. like, let's, yep. I think it's fascinating. I think Chandler, what you say is like the people who wanted to, the people who hurt me the most were the people that profess to be helping you. Mm-hmm, and I think yeah. one really important thing that everyone can keep in mind is like, you don't get to decide how you get to help other people. Mm-hmm. Meaning like you don't get to decide for them. You can ask for input and you can offer guidance, but mm-hmm. you're never going to be more the expert in a person than they are themselves. Yeah, And it's something that I know, like working as a therapist, that I have a couple persons who really struggle with this idea where they're like, I'm doing what is supposed to be best for them. And I'm like, well, have you ever asked their input as to what they feel is best yeah. for them? They're like, no, I just know what it is. I'm like, but you don't. But you don't. But the reality yeah. is you really don't. And you assuming is actually making things way worse. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, for that person. Thank you for saying that. Cause I think that's no. a very important message that uh, no. a lot of people are confused about these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of the hurt and pain that we see in the world right now mm-hmm. is coming from, there are there are definitely sources that do not have good intentions in mind. There mm-hmm. are also many more, many more sources where they think they're doing the right thing because they were told this was the right thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, you have you have small town logic and and knowledge and street smarts here and there where you're like, ah, you know, yeah. I know how people are and I can read them. And sometimes you're right, and sometimes just asking a simple question of what do you need mm-hmm. can be enough. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How does this Usually make you know. feel? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's often that we're just too afraid to ask for things mm-hmm. or maybe we haven't taken the time to explore it because it's a very scary place. Mm-hmm. And you just need the right questions sometimes to just mm-hmm. let you do some of that healing yourself and just have somebody there for you for when you fall. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, it's, yeah. and I was going to say earlier, and that just reminded me of it, that so much of the pain in this movie and in life comes from people feeling like they're not supported. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when the support is there, it's done in a in a way that's very imposing your their will upon you so it's like you can help people just by being present you know Mm -hmm. and being ready for when they need your help that's it that's the end of the thought yeah and and i think as a parent like that is something that i struggle with 
And I think the the tragedy in William and Catherine is they just don't, they were not raised in a system that allowed them to ever question um, yeah. how, th- that, their, that their daughter should be able to have feelings about the way she's living her life. And Catherine didn't. So, I mean, there's like, there's an element of Catherine saying, well, this is how I survived. Like, this is what is expected of us. This is what expected of you. This is how you survive in the system rather than just questioning the system itself, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was going to say, when we were back on, uh, this is going back a little bit, but we were talking about who's the villain of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have definite villainous actions with the witch, but I always felt more it's the town. It's the society yeah. that they were mm-hmm. part of who ever let them go because we don't even know what they're even being banished for other than mm-hmm. having a different mm-hmm. opinion. I'm sure William was a bit of an asshole and yeah. spouted his stuff a lot, but so pull him aside. Talk to him. Hey, what's going on, man? What's What's bothering you so much? Yeah. But they're not banished, right? They actually, he leaves in his own accord. Like, he tells them, I'm picking up stakes and going. Like, he's able to go back into there as often as he wants to sell his wares. And Tomlinson can, like, be so basically auctioned family. off, basically. To yeah, that's family. fair. Yeah. You know, like, it might have been good if they had someone say, like, you should tone it down a little bit and partake <laughs> in these magic mushrooms that we found. <laughs> um, well, and but I hear your point, because I think the the larger... The bad guy is the patriarchy here. The ba- this this really is this is partly why I love the movie so much. This is like when this is a really clear example of how this patriarchal system just destroys this family, you know. And yeah. if the town is a, an extension of that, why did like we just don't know enough about what happened in the town to really be able to make a judgment? Like because mm-hmm. if it's a town full of Williams, maybe they wouldn't have been better off there. Yeah, maybe they would have been yeah. more protected. But I don't know. But yeah, the bad yeah. guy is always the patriarchy. And capitalism. 100%. Well, and I think unless there's anything else, I just want to say how fucking creepy this movie is. And I love the lighting. And for the record, it's that witch cave looks really cool. Um, Not the the witch house, not the witch cave. Oh, it really does. All the sad things happen. It's so The aesthetics are beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, is there anything else we want to mention as we... The only thing I wanted to say is that if you watch the Sabrina news series, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, it explores a lot of these themes and it does some really interesting things with them. And it's Mm -hmm. very, very, very stupid, but also very, very smart at the same time. (laughs) I don't know how they pull it off, but if you want an extension of this conversation, especially like the role of women and in these sort of patriarchal systems and and with Satan and God and all this, that series is a good one to check out. But it is very stupid. Completely agree. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Cheerleaders don't sing like that. Sorry, <laughs> just got to get that off my chest. Um, but yeah, I agree. And when I was mentioning Queen of Hell, that's what I was thinking about. Not to spoil. Anyways, yes. so now it's time for an uplifting moment. And we're all raising off the ground for this uplifting moment also. <laughs> um, this is... Oh, shit. Oh, this, this is, is shit. <laughs> this, is, ah, this, this is, is shit. This is when we share any grounding and coping techniques we've been using or any self-care that's been working for us recently. And grounding and coping techniques are the little tips, tricks, practices, or mantras that help us get through the hard days and hard moments. And self-care is anything we do that makes us feel good or feel better. And my self-care this week has been talking about this movie. And I also listened to a um, the Spencers of Horror had a fantastic episode of I Spit on Your Podcast about satanic feminism um, in this and some other movies. But you should definitely check that out because it's really um, 
it's really great. And it's part of like why I love horror and why I like writing and podcasting about it is because this is really a lot of how I kind of care for my brain is getting these things out, processing them. I don't know. I probably said something that pissed you off in this episode and I'm sorry. Um, it's just a part of my processing, you know, and I might feel differently about it in a year from now, but that's where we are right now. And that's who I am as a human being. So I appreciate you three listening and talking about this with me and listeners. I appreciate you engaging in this conversation with us on a larger sense. And it really, it helps me a lot. So does anyone else care to share? So I basically have set up my office at work to be a little oasis for me at this point. And I have, um, when I was getting me through the week, I've got my little, it almost looks like an old school, like 1940s radio plugged in, and it sounds great. And I've been listening to a lot of like NPR's tiny concert series mm. where they have like these like 15 to 20 minute concerts. And they're musicians from tons of different genres, but mostly like Bob Moulds, who's my favorite all time performer, does like a 15 minute set, remixes in like his new stuff and a little bit of Husker Du. Um, Steve Martin and his bluegrass band have a nice set. Uh, Julian Baker, Weezer, Super Chunk, the Pixies. And there are these like 20 minute concerts that are just really intimate. I've just been like watching more stuff like that lately. And just that's found that like work has been a lot. And we're about five days out from April break. And I am going to get there by the like honest to God by like, the tips of my fingers at this point. <laughs> um, but like that is what, something during the day where I'm able to just kind of have a little relax or have that on the background. And I find it like really soothing. Nice. Yeah, I I haven't been doing great at self-care, but I have gone back to practicing the sort of faux copper plate, faux calligraphy, photography, whatever you want to call it, because I use like a, a little like fine tipped marker pen instead of an actual calligraphy nib which would just be beyond my skill set and i just write out letters and they oh, look wow. not and they, they don't look great if you look closely but if i find it very meditative um and like so when i'm feeling i just have been getting that like I, I call it my brain starts to feel itchy i think coming up on being well it's over a year now that i've been in isolation and quarantine and you know and it's just like I want to destroy everything in my apartment and eat my chair and I'm going to freak the fuck out. So I'm just like, when I start to feel that building, I'll just do something. I'll, I've been listening to the it audiobook and doing calligraphy. Oh, <laughs> just cool. like calm down, calm down, calm mm-hmm. down. So like soothing yeah, motion. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. For me and my fiance, we just, we've gotten into uh binging Frasier. Actually, <gasps> <recently. laughs> I Jen love Frasier. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it growing up. Um, I mean, it's so much different from when I was a kid to now what I understood and what I got. Mm -hmm. And I loved how they set it up because you do have, you know, you have Daphne and uh, Martin. So you have Fraser's dad and and the the housekeeper who are your more kind of blue collar humor, your middle class, every person. And then with Fraser and Niles, if you become more adult or if you go into an academic track or even just being an adult and knowing what it's like to just have everything fall apart, no matter how you're trying to make it work. Frasier is perfect to just kind of get this catharsis out. And <laughs> I, some series you have this whole, well, it could be worse for me. I'm like, this is exactly how it is <laughs> at my job. Mm. Like, that's the <laughs> level of things just not working out and me trying to keep it together and then trying to not bring that home. 
So when we watch Frazier, I just learned so much because I feel like he's going on a very similar path that I did as I kind of grew into adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny. And it's it is simple. funny. It's so and funny. It's and it's <laughs> yeah. like intellectual humor too, which I really dig, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. If you want that, you can hone in on that. If you want to hone in on the stupid stuff, you can hone in on that too. Exactly. It's, it's, it's got forever. something for everyone. <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. It's one of my all-time favorite shows. Yeah. Hey. Um, well, we want to hear from you. Have you ever regurgitated an entire apple whole? Do you know any evil goats? What is your current self-care or anything else that is on your mind? And you can share all of this and more by following us at Pod on all of the socials. You can also join our Facebook group, the Psychoanalysis Podcast Support Group. It's a private and moderated group where we can talk about things discussed in episodes, mental health, and anything else that's going on. And you can also email us at psychoapod at gmail.com if you'd like to share privately. And if you have a moment, please, please leave us a rate and review at Apple iTunes. It really helps people find the pod and it makes us feel good. So you could review deliciously and we will be very (laughs) grateful. Sign your name in our book. Sorry, I don't know how weird I'm making it right now. Anyways, um, so our homework question for today is what would it take to get you to put your name in the Dark Lord's book? Now, we are not advocating that you actually do that. What we are saying is... What is delicious to you? What would would you like would, a taste of butter? Would butter do it for you, or do you need something a little bit more? Uh, you know, let's, yeah. let's clarified butter for me. Nutella. <laughs> yeah. Oh you my need god! A little bit of red with that butter. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. So what are we watching next? Well, guess what? We're not watching anything next. We are going to do our first ever listener feedback episode, which I am really excited about and a little nervous about, too. So um, as I hope you like me, uh, I'll cut that out. (laughs) So um, I'm going to post a prompt uh, probably before this episode drops. Um, Make sure to email us feedback or questions. You can DM us as well on any of our social accounts. Probably going to be a little easier for us to keep track of it in Gmail. So uh, psychoapod at gmail.com. Anything you'd like us to know or anything you'd like to know more about. So comments, questions, um, we want it all. Um, You can share self-care episodes you liked, movies you'd like us to cover down the road. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you think. Um, And we are... I'm kind of a stickler for making sure people give us consent to share things too. So please make us, uh, please make sure to let us know one, how you'd like us to refer to you. And um, we are not going to share anything unless you clearly give us permission to. So, you know, just feel like dropping a, it's okay to read this in the episode in there. That'll, you know, help us out too. I would say if you're, if you're writing into the listener feedback episode and then our surprise that we shared, (laughs) What we're doing in the listener feedback episode, that would be, I think that would be on you, listener. That's true. I just, I'm always kind of really cautious. Yeah, just about say, that. say, tell us if you want us to use your real name, a different yeah. name. Let us know those kind of details yeah. and we will do what you say. Yeah. So. And depending on what day this episode drops, we may have already recorded this episode that we're talking about, or depending on the day that you see the prompt, we may have already recorded it. But never fear, because we are going to kind of incorporate listener feedback and ask us anything stuff into upcoming Patreon. So Mm -hmm. if you missed the window to get it in, still send us stuff and we'll just save it and we'll get to it in the next one. Um, Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. We are a member of the Consequence Podcast Network. You can find us along with some other fantastic pods by going to consequenceofsound.com. The site just went through a big rebrand, so make sure to check it out. It looks really cool, and there are some exciting new features. And Chandler, where can we find you online, and 
Is there anything you would like to plug that is exciting coming up for you? Yeah. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at underscore shockaholic. Uh, I have periodic uh, articles that you can find at ghoulish media and morbidly beautiful. And if ever you want a bit of inf- entertainment, my day job is a manager for a virtual escape room called mm. the Amsterdam Catacombs. So for you horror hounds, please, uh, we would love to host you in our depths, basically, is uh, what I would like to plug. That's awesome. <laughs> and I'll make sure to post links to that. Um, that you. sounds really, really cool. Especially since we're all stuck and trying to escape. Uh, <laughs> Mike, what about you? Can't get out. <laughs> exactly. So you can find me online at Mike underscore Snoonian. You can also find my other show wherever you get podcasts, The Pod and the Pendulum. By the time this comes out, we'll be just coming up on our two-year anniversary, which is incredible wow. that it's been that long. Yes. So we're pretty excited. And we are currently covering the Evil Dead franchise. We have four episodes on really one of the best trilogies in, in horror. It's one of the most fun trilogies. The first episode I'm editing right now, and I think it's one of our best episodes. Oh, so, wow. With uh, Jay Blake Fischera from Score to Death. So oh, definitely awesome. give that a listen if you love the Evil Dead, Dead movies uh, or just like great content. Laura, <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Well, I'm occasionally on the Losers Club and Halloweenies, two other Consequence podcasts. And otherwise, you can find me on Twitter where I'm telling real dumb jokes all the time. <laughs> um, and there, oh my God. And you can find me there at Underalls, U N D E R A L L S, much like the, the white muslin bloodstained shift. Mm. That you wear underneath your underneath your uh, overdress, and and you have to cast off when the devil tells you to do so. That's at underalls u n d e r l l s on Twitter. That's nice. where you can find me, baby. <laughs> and you can find me at Jim Ferratu on all of the socials. You can find me on the Losers Club. Um, just talking about trimmers recently, which was so much fun. And you can also, I just launched the blog, which is Strong Female Antagonist. So if you like what we talked about in this episode, the, that blog has got that same flavor. So check it out at Female Antagonist on socials, or you can just follow me and try to find a link there. So um, that's been, thank you for everyone who has read and shared that. That's really been, I was really nervous about that and it went a lot better than I thought it would be. So that is our episode on the witch. 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 Chandler, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for choosing this movie. Oh, this was so much fun. I had a a blast. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, it's like... as weird as this is going to say and hyperbolic, maybe, but it's a bit of a dream come true. I love the podcast. Oh. <laughs> super, super oh. happy to be here. Well, thank you. Happy to have you here. <laughs> yes. That was, um, listeners, thank you for spending time with us. Make sure to take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And with that, let's sign off deliciously. <laughs> <laughs> we came here to chew bubblegum and take care of ourselves. And we're, and we're all bubblegum. <laughs>